This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 44th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Today I have a special guest, Jay Paris. Jay is an author and reporter who covers the NFL in Los Angeles for Forbes.com. Uh, Jay has written books about the L.A. Chargers and the L.A. Rams. Jay is the author of a new book about Shoei Otani, the amazing story of baseball's two-way Japanese superstar. Jay, I'm going to give you a little more of an introduction in a minute. just want to go through a few housekeeping things here. Uh, I want to recognize uh, my engineer today, Daniel Billis. Daniel is also the host of Fresh Juice at Rainier Avenue Radio. Uh, I want to mention we have a great sports department here. We're based on the World Wide Web. I'm sorry, we're on the World Wide Web, based in Seattle. We have Rick Dupree's great show, One-on-One with Dupe, Granville Emerson, Renault Laurent, host of, are the co-hosts of a fun show, Lidline Sports. Mazia Verari is the host of Seattle Sports Weekly. Pat McCarthy, Mazvita, co-host a show on the Seattle Metro Sports Conference. Uh, Mark Bryan has a fitness-based show, and Wong Cotto and, and Mike Cobrezi have a new show, Primetime Sports. We've got a lot of programming here at Rainier Avenue Radio. I want to throw out a little... Uh, a little uh, stuff about my other my other ho- uh, colleagues here. Uh, Jay Paris, I believe you grew up in Southern California. I read that you are a rabid Angels and LA Rams fan. Uh, Jay's other books, besides his new one on Shohei Otani, includes Game My Life Rams and Game My Life Chargers, I believe. Uh, Jay, we're going to talk a little about those franchises. We're going to have a, a special focus today on your new book about Shohei Otani. Maybe hit on uh, Southern California sports and sports in general a little bit. Well, uh, Jay, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Hey, thank you so much. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely a SoCal guy, but hearing Rainier that often, it becomes a thirsty for half rack of mine of March. I like it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good, <laughs> it's one of the better cheap beers, Rainier. I would, I would agree with you. Well, Rainier <laughs> Avenue Radio is a uh, street in Seattle, and that's where our station is based. Well, Jay, I want to get a little, I like to make my interview somewhat biographical, and I want to get, Learn a little about you. I know you're a sports reporter for, for Forbes.com, as I mentioned in the intro. You're an author. Tell us a little bit how you got the bug to be a, a sports writer and a sports reporter. You know what? I was like every other kid. I was wanted to be a major league baseball player. And I was lucky enough to live only three miles down the street from the uh, Angels build Anaheim Stadium. I was a child and uh, got to ride my bike to the game. How about that? And, and go to the Orange Groves to do it, which, which are long gone. But as I moved up the ranks of playing baseball, I was introduced to Uncle Charlie. And I didn't have an Uncle Charlie, but after a few curveballs, I figured out who Uncle Charlie was. I wasn't going to be a baseball player. What's the best best thing? Almost being there, that's being paid to watch the, the games and to write about them. My mom was an English major, always liked the written word. So started leaning towards sports writing and Veered all a little bit in the NFL for 20, 25 years. Always had my heart in baseball and uh, always an angel fan, that's for sure. And then, then when Shohei came along, it was a spark. Jay, you still there? Yes, I am. Okay, I thought we were breaking up for a second. Well, that's a uh, neat background. You know, the one thing that's fun about sports, I, I've never been the greatest athlete, but you can you can do different things with sports. You can be a writer, you can go into sports business. It's, it's so broad. I'm sure you'd agree with that. Right, absolutely, and that, that's what that's why you meet so many neat people. You know, it'd be interesting if you just met the athletes in sports. But as you know, just being around the game, there's some characters no matter where you look. And a lot of great stories come from sports too, as you know. Okay, JC, right for Forbes.com. Now, Forbes is frequently thought of as a business magazine network. 
tell us what's going on with Forbes.com on the sports front. And how does Forbes.com distinguish itself, say, from ESPN or Sports Illustrated? Yeah, it's not uh, covering the game so much in the down and distance and uh, uh, what why play call is made. Kind of the intersection of sports and finance. And, uh, of course, now more than ever, sports is finance. It's the salary cap and long-term contracts and how do you use your space. And it kind of looks at that, comes at it from that, that angle. So was a guy a good sign? Did the team get a good value from the, what they spend millions of dollars a game? So it's kind of looking at the, the money aspect, uh, and we'll, we might talk about it a little bit later, but the Rams are, are making some roster moves to, to free up salary cap space. So, you know, sports, so much of it is, you know, it's you know, year-round anyway, but some people dig this part of the sports season with their teams almost as much as they do when it's, uh, you know, Sunday in the fall. They like, they like to be general. They like to see where that money's being allocated. They like to see if that eye of talent that the front office might have uh, equates what the, the money we get this guy. So it's kind of looking at it from a, a dollar point uh, side of view. I got to admit, it's kind of interesting. It, so is a lot of your work more on the sports business side? Is that a lot of what your duties are at Forbes.com? Right. Uh, that's part of it. That's a big part of it. And see where those financial allocations are going. Uh, how about the revenue stream coming back to the club? Uh, how about the fight for LA off, off the field with the Chargers and the Rams, the stadium going in? So, kind of the, the pullback of the curtain, the financial uh, uh, stuff that goes on behind the scenes, uh, which is interesting and which often uh, tells you what's going to happen on the field. Uh, if you're mismanaged in the front office, you don't spend that money correctly, a few teams can overcome that, no matter how much time they might have. Very true. The business side of sports is very important. This is Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. I have uh, Jay Paris, a Southern California-based writer, the author of the new book, Shoei Itani, The Amazing Story of Baseball's Two-Way Japanese Superstar. You can follow Jay Paris on Twitter at Paris underscore sports. Jay, you brought up the Rams and Chargers. Good segue to my next question. And there's some skepticism about whether – it makes sense to have two NFL franchises in Los Angeles, although it's a, it's a big region. There's still some debate. I think most people agree there should be at least one NFL team in LA. Do, do you think that, do you think two franchises? Jay, still there? Okay. I, for some reason, I think we're breaking up. Do you, do you still think that two NFL franchises can work in Los Angeles? Uh, to, to return to LA with a big splash is to rip one team away from the base that we've supported for 56 years in the league of goals in the international city, which San Diego is. So uh, I know they does, you know, they to come in with a stance option for the deepest pockets. Um, I'm not so sure they're happy that the charge be kind of riding along with it. But, you know, tip your hat and stand that he's got the stadium done. And you talk about finances, you know. Three uh, California cities told the NFL that they were saying two big stadiums open the Jim having a little trouble hearing Jim having a little trouble hearing you right now. Are, are, is your cell phone okay? 
Uh, yeah, I could step outside. That's a lot better. That's a lot better. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't hear your last answer very. Your your uh, last answer to my question. Um, okay. Yeah. So my my question was, and I and, and just maybe give a condensed version of it. I I, I wanted to sure. know um, if you think two NFL franchises in Los Angeles is going to work long term. You know, I think it will long term. And you're talking about a region with you know tens of millions of people, and I certainly think they can pull it off. But I also think that the NFL would have preferred just for the Rams to come in and with that splashy new stadium to have all themselves and not lose the San Diego franchise in that city as well. So long term, will it work? Uh, yes, but you got to remember the Chargers are, are on the borderline hill relevancy back uh, in LA. I mean, ten right. pro teams in that region. So uh, long term, maybe, but it's gonna it's gonna be a slog. Um, do do you see the NFL coming back to to San Diego one day? I do. If, if a private somebody, private money, uh, will build the stadium, uh, San Diego is told uh, pretty much everyone they have no appetite to subsidize a fifteen billion dollar industry, which the NFL is with, with public funds. So, you know, a tech guy, a billionaire guy, somebody like that that wants to come in and and do most of the heavy lifting uh, to build a stadium. I think you'd be a fool not to be San Diego, second largest city in the, in the largest state in the union. is such a gym, and, and the NFL is kicking itself. It, it got out of that because, look, the NFL wants to grow the pie financially. That includes internationally, and uh, right there on a border city, uh, it, it wasn't smart to, to let the Chargers get away. Yeah, San Diego's a great town, no doubt about it. You know, Jay, uh, we had a major, you know, NBA relocation battle in Seattle when the right. Sox left in 2008. I know Los Angeles has had relocations, and, you know, a lot of people think St. Louis got a raw deal losing the Rams. People right. think that the Chargers got a raw deal. Uh, I had as a guest on my show a little over a year ago, former U.S. Senator Slay Gorin. He represented Washington Senate for many years. And Senator Gorin sponsored a bill when he was in the Senate trying to make it harder for pro franchises to relocate what what do you think about legislation making it harder for teams to move you happen to you know to I cut- think it, uh, Go yeah ahead. I, you know paul paul i think it has to be more from the citizens i think it has to be from people not wanting to have their pockets picked uh, the raiders are going to nevada they're getting 750 million dollars of public funds that's almost a billion dollars and that's why they're the other owners were happy for them to do that. So now they can go to their city and say, look, here's what the going rate is to, to keep a team or get a team. So I think it's got to be people rising up and, and politicians watching that better because you are subsidizing a, a very popular, uh, very popular sport, but it is a business. And if they're going to look at it uh, through business eyes on their end, it would behoove the citizens to do likewise. Yeah, no, you, you brought up a lot there. It's a it's a uh, challenging issue how to handle franchise relocation issues. So um, you wrote a book about the about the L.A. Chargers. You know the franchise well. Uh, the franchise, the team made the playoffs last year. Any any quick insights on the the, the Chargers in the upcoming twenty nineteen season? Yeah, you know Philip Rivers coming off maybe one of his best seasons ever. You know, there's talk about when's he going to start sliding down. Uh, it certainly doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. Keep an eye on uh, on Derwin James, the safety rookie. Probably should have been the defensive rookie of the year. Great safety out of Florida State. Uh, it's looking good on the Chargers. It's upside. It's still weird, though, playing in a little soccer stadium that they barely feel fill up at 25000 So that's a weird dynamic. So there's one more season left of that. But the Chargers arrow is pointing up, I think, for sure. We'll have to see. Yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting that two LA NFL teams made the playoffs last year. 
Yeah, it would have been interesting. They would have both went to the playoffs because, you know, what would have happened first day if the Chargers would have won the Super Bowl? I mean, would they have really had a, a parade in Los Angeles? Probably not. Certainly they couldn't have one in San Diego. So that's a weird little uh, cloud, you know, still over the Chargers. But on the field, uh, I like Anthony Lynn, their coach of a couple of years. Uh, he's got those guys going in the right direction for sure. Boy, that would have been a weird Super Bowl parade. That, that's, that's a, that's a <laughs> that's good point right. you brought up. Hey, Jay, you probably never had this question before. That's something fun about interviewing. You can kind of come up with questions out of the blue. Sure. And I know I know you know the L.A. Rams franchise really well. You've written, you wrote a book about the L.A. Rams. So Carol Rosenblum, the late owner, Carol Rosenblum, he died in a mysterious drowning. And Georgia right. Frontier, his widow, took over the franchise. Do you think there was any foul play in, in Carol Rosenblum's death? I, I know you probably never got that question before, but I was just curious. Well, you know, actually, you know, it's been uh, it's been mentioned anyway. You're talking about a guy who knew how to swim and swim every day, and the water conditions weren't rough. Now, I can't make that next leap from there, but uh, it was uh, I want to believe her seventh or eighth husband, and yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be surprised about anything. I certainly couldn't say anything uh, uh, without without any further proof of that. But uh, mysterious in that a, a guy drowned. Who swam every day right in that spot when the water was calm, you know, interesting to say the least. Absolutely. And I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy, Jay, but that was just a weird death. I had to ask you about some old school LA Rams history. Yeah, okay. Digging deep. I like it, Paul. Gotcha. So 20, 20, we're about halfway done. We got some more time for some more questions. But the the 2018 Rams had a great year, made the Super Bowl with uh, Goff and Gurley and all that. do you see them uh, repeating it again? Uh, do, do, do you see a great 2019 Rams team again? You know, I certainly see them, you know, them uh, not going anywhere. There's some good questions, though, with Todd Gurley and just how bad that left knee is. They're saying it's arthritis. They're saying it won't be fixed surgically, which is really a bad news because you really can't fix arthritis. And if you're an NFL running back and, and you have arthritis, that's not good. I'm talking about the, the intersection of sports money. You know, they just gave him a $60 million contract extension two years early. Now maybe they're scratching their heads. They, they shouldn't have done that. So but you still got Gurley and, and golf's fine. That offensive line looks like it's coming back, uh, save the center. And uh, they're pretty good on defense. But, you know, people are coming at them. And some people think they uh, they might have been exposed, certainly against the Patriots, but earlier against the Bears, something to take that offensive way, you know. Sean McVay, he, he was running, he was riding a big eye there. He certainly uh, had a lesson to uh, taught him during the Super Bowl. But the Rams aren't going to go anywhere soon. That's a dynamic, dynamic coach in McVay, and it's an owner who wants to win because he, he wants to sell tickets to new stadiums. Yeah, the McVay's definitely a great young coach. I, I think we're going to be hearing a, even a lot more about his years going on. Yeah, I do too, and I think he'll keep to learn a ton from that that game. He'll probably coach 30 more years, but he'll probably always reflect back on that day he tried to match wits with the great Lobelichi. Jay, a little background noise. If you can get outside more, maybe for a few minutes, it would help for me to make sure I can hear a little better. Okay, sure. That's a lot better. Thanks, thanks. All right, okay, sure. Jay, um, I want to move on to the Angels and your new book about uh, Otani. Um, I, this is Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier sure. Avenue Radio with author and Forbes.com writer Jay Paris. And first of all, before we hit more on Otani, do you think the Angels are going to sign Mike Trout in two years? And will he be the first billion-dollar athlete? Boy, they, they certainly set the market for him. But when Manny and Bryce Harper got, uh, the Angels certainly want to sign him again. You know, can they keep him in Anaheim? That's the question. 
Philadelphia certainly got him on. Harper's already uh, trying to recruit him, it seems like. So uh, he's a big part of anybody's team, and certainly Angels. It's just going to see if the East Coast guy wants to stay out on the West Coast or not. He's just a pleasure to watch. Just, just he could go down in history as the greatest baseball player ever, Mike Trout. Just, just an amazing player to watch. Um, and, and he's not fake either. I mean, he's a good cat. You know, you, you can tell in the clubhouse and tell what kind of teammate you are. And he's solid in those areas as well. That's good to hear. And I know, I know that uh, Otani seems like a real swell guy too. So, how did you um, decide? Why did you decide to write a book about Otani only after his first year in the Major League Baseball? Why didn't you wait a couple more years to write a book about him? Tell us what went into your thinking write a book about him after his first year. You know, just that he was going to try something historic, and, and nobody had really tried that. So you gotta you gotta write for that first year if you think it's going to be special. You got to start in spring training. That so it was a bit, a bit of a risk to see if this guy really could pull it off. Could he really be the Japanese Babe Ruth at this level? We certainly know how hard it is just to hit in the majors. We know how hard it is to pitch in the majors. Could this cat really do both at such an elite level against all this competition? And I also liked he, he, how he kind of went anti-status quo. You know how many good ball players are told you've got to pitch or you've got to hit. Shohei said, no, I want to try to do both, and, I'll, and I'm going to show you that I can do both. So it was what he could bring onto the field and the, the historic nature of what he was trying. And you got to remember he was trying to do it in a new country, seeing new pitchers, seeing new hitters, trying new food, playing in new ballparks, going to strange cities. I mean, that's a lot on the plate for a 23-year-old. And although he hurt his elbow, he pulled it off. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's really just the, the cultural things you brought up. I mean, it, it just imagine an American kid that age going to try to play in Japan. It's just, it's a whole different paradigm. So yeah, I, I think that real real quickly, especially with Shohei, because remember he lived a shelter life in Tokyo in Japan. I'm sorry, in Japan when he played for the Ham Fighters. When everybody went home after the game, he stayed in the dorms with the rookies. He was the highest paid player in the league. But he got a thousand dollars allowance from his parents because he wanted to go home and study video. He wanted to go home from nutrition. He wanted to go home to get his rest. He had this like zen-like approach to baseball, which made him uh, so compelling. Not not a party. You're out till two in the morning or anything. Just no, he's not. He's not on the streets. And he's never out with a gal. If you can see, uh, that's part of his mystique. That uh, there's you know people love to watch him play, but they really know so little about him. Seems like a swell guy. Um. You know, I, I haven't finished your book. I've read part of it, and I hope to finish it soon, Jay. Right. And uh, one baseball person in your book described Otani as a number one starter, a middle of the lineup batter. Would it make right. more sense for Otani to play in the National League where he can he can be a, a good hitting pitcher? Yeah, but uh, he couldn't hit as much. If he couldn't play as much, if he was pitching, he'd play, what, every four days? Uh, that's out of his lineup. they would be taking the bat out of the lineup for a couple extra days. I think it was more. He's more inclined to to be an American League guy with the with the designated hitter. Uh, last year he didn't hit before or after days he pitched, and he didn't hit on days he pitched. So you know he was only available so much. I think he's more available in the American League in the National League. You know he's not playing out in the field. He's not playing a corner outfield spot like he did in Jap in his Japanese league. Uh, for a couple of years. So I, I think he landed in the right spot. That's why an American League team was kind of favored to, to get his big contract. You know, I see your point. That, that's a good point you brought up, that, that the DH might give him some more days to play. But uh, that, that's an interesting uh, feedback you had there. So uh, you mentioned that the Babe Ruth comparisons to right. Otani. And 
Do you think they're a little premature, or or, or is it uh, is it not a loose analogy? Well, you know, it's not a loose analogy because you got to remember he had uh, 15 home runs. Oh, he finished with 22. You know, 15 home runs and 50 innings pitched. You know, nobody done that in 100 years. It was Babe Ruth, and nobody did 20 home runs and struck out 60 batters. I mean, nobody's done it. Is he Babe Ruth? Uh, absolutely not. And what's great about Shohei is how humble he is and how gracious he is and how uh, how much gratitude he has for playing the game. So whenever he's mentioned as a Japanese Babe Ruth, he's apologetic. And uh, he doesn't want to take away the the, uh, the respect from Babe Ruth, which tells you a lot about Otani. So, of course, you've got to do it time and time again. Of course, you got to keep going to the post, as they say here in the major leagues. But for one year, and, and he may never have another year like that. You know baseball. I mean, Mike Trout was the 25th pick in baseball. And that means 24 other teams decided Mike Trout wasn't very good. So baseball's weird. And that's what makes uh, succeeding in it so fleeting. So can he build on this? Let's see. But if, even if he doesn't, he had a matchup a year that I think is going to be talked about for a long time. Yeah, he definitely had a, a fascinating rookie year. So uh, I'm up here up in Seattle, as you know, Jay. I'm, I'm a Mariners right. fan, and, and although we're on the World Wide Web, uh, Paul Schneiderman again at Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, writer Jay Paris. Got a couple minutes left. Um, how, how close did Seattle come to signing Otani? Very close. And, uh, of course, Seattle fans, uh, they thought they had the inside track, and, and boy, did they let show uh, uh, have it. He showed up there to play with the Angels this year. They they booed him every time he stuck his head on a dugout. But they had the, uh, you know, Ichiru connection. They had the Japanese ownership, uh, some minority ownership there. That great, great Pacific Rim state, uh, city with a, a thriving, vibrant Asian community. So, you know, I, I think they were right there. But, but what I think Seattle didn't have and what the Angels had, and for a kid who, who longed to play in Major League Baseball and watched it so intently, they didn't have Mike Trout. And the opportunity to possibly play with one of the greatest players ever and call him a teammate and take away some of that uh, spotlight, if you will, and to be in the L.A. market without being in L.A. was big. And when, when the Angels did the recruiting of, of Shohei, one of seven finalists, Mike Trout was getting married that week. He got on a FaceTime and, and talked to Shohei and told him about the atmosphere and told him what a great clubhouse it was and, and how much fun it was to play in Orange County. So I think Seattle, I think they were right there. I, I think they were probably the second pick, but they didn't have that Mike Trout card to play the Angels played that card, and it probably got a Otani. Well, I'll tell you something. I think the rain in Seattle is actually a little bit overrated, Jay, but there's the, the Southern California weather could have been a factor as well and as part of Absolutely. Otani's final decision. Just uh, that that may have been a role, played a role sure. too. So, um, what, One thing, too, about um, your, your book, Jay, is are you getting any reports on how well it's selling in Japan right now? Uh, you know, they did, uh, they did uh, translate it. It was uh, Japanese rights were sold. And uh, the uh, thumbs up so far. And, and when uh, Shohei came back came back home in the off season, they even asked him about the book or my book and, and what he thought about it. Shohei said it made him happy, which made like hundreds of almost Japanese reporters call me wanting to know about Shohei. So uh, uh. Uh, the, the book's been well received so far as we tell it. He's just an easy guy to root for, and when he's on the field, it's hard to take our eyes off. Have you spent much one-on-one time with him, uh, Jay? 
you know, a little bit, certainly not as much as I wanted, and they kept them in a pretty good bubble, especially that first year. So you got to talk to more managers, other players, teammates in Japan, so it kind of gives you a broader perspective of the guy, but, but as a writer, you're always hoping for more one-on-one time, especially the show here. Seems like a great guy. What, do you see yourself ever writing an updated edition of, of this book? I, I, you know, I asked you a few minutes ago why you wrote it after his first year. Could you see yourself updating it in a couple of years, maybe? You know, I do because I think it's going to be such a, a, a news event and a newsworthy event when he comes back from pitching. He can't pitch this this year. He's undergone Tommy John surgery. He can DH. He will hit this upcoming year. But it won't be in 2020 when he really resumes, if you will, the Japanese Babe Ruth by pitching and hitting. This year, strictly a hitter. So let's see how he comes out of that surgery. I will say he'll only still be 25 years old. This wasn't an older pitcher getting surgery. This is a young man, and he's a big guy. He's not the typical Japanese player. He's six foot four, two hundred pounds, and he's a big man, a big strong man. So I can see adding to it because really, there's quite a few chapters still remaining to be told on how he does on the pitching side of things. You know, I've never written a book, Jay, but I've, I've interviewed and met a lot of authors over the years. I, I would think, as a writer and as an author, it, it's fun to write a book about someone you like, right? Right. And uh, that's what I, you know, I like the Chargers and the Rams. What was cool is the players I liked. I got to talk to guys, let them pick their favorite game of their entire career. So instead of me, me already picking it, I let them pick it. You get to hear it through our eyes. And we show him he's an easy guy to root for. And I'll, I'll say it right up front, he, he's so humble and gracious. He's always worried about how everybody else is going to be affected. He worried about how the Japanese media, you know, which was 50, 60 of them, we're going to get in the way of his teammates. You know, he's always worried about how other, how he's being uh, perceived by others because he never wants to be above anybody. An example, when he has sunflower seeds in the dugout, he spits them into a cup so the clubhouse uh, junior attendant won't have to come by and sweep them up later. When boy. he gets a walk at the, at the plate, he folds off all his equipment, waits for the bat boy, bows to him, and gives him the equipment. He doesn't throw it off as he's walking down the line. You know, that's just the kind of guy he is. You put that on the physical talents on top of that, he's easy to cheer for. You know, not every public figure is like that, Jay. What, what a guy. <laughs> I know. Jay, we got probably about, what, two minutes left or so. And um, I want to ask you a question. What's in the future for Jay Paris? Do you have any new books coming out or anything? You know, uh, we're going to keep an eye on Connie. We're keeping an eye on football. And no books on, on, the, uh, on the horizon yet. So we're just uh, focused on the day-to-day stuff right now and, and really go around the world and try to spread the word about uh, Shohei. He's uh, opened up a lot of doors, that's for sure. He's so beloved that uh, he's almost beyond baseball how popular he is. Well, I wish you all the best in your book, Jay. Jay, we got about 30 seconds, and, and this may be a hard question to answer in 30 seconds, but I'm still going to ask you this. Um, do you see the L.A. Clippers staying in Los Angeles in the years? There's rumors about that franchise, about Bomber maybe moving the franchise to Seattle. Could, any quick insights uh, yeah, on that? Yeah, L.A. Clippers are staying in L.A. That's why they're worth $2 billion. They have that L.A. market. They have that L.A. media market, if you will. They're already making plans to build an arena in Englewood across the street from the $5 billion Rams that charge stated it's going on. So look for a lawsuit between uh, Staples Centers and uh, Madison Square Garden, which owns the form, which is right there. So uh, it looks like the Clippers are not only staying, they're going to build their own stadium over in Englewood. Right yeah, I bet they stay. Jay, thank you so much for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Let's see when I stay in touch. Great, man. Uh, thanks for reaching out. You covered a lot of ground. I appreciate it.
Thanks, Jay.